Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello, alumni. We are back with another episode of After Four. Yes, it's After Four, not After IV, because you might graduate from college, but you never graduate from InterVarsity. I'm your host, John Steele, and I am so glad you're here. Hey, this is pretty exciting. We've had a ton of new people jumping on and listening to After Four so far this new year. So if you're new to the podcast, maybe only a couple episodes in, or maybe this episode is your first After Four experience, I just want to say welcome. We are all in this post-college, intervarsity alumni journey together, and the more the merrier. So thanks for joining us, and welcome to the show. All right, today we are talking about a topic that I just know you all are chomping at the bit to hear about. It's the thing that lights up your eyes and occupies all of your dinner conversations. No, it's not last night's episode of The Bachelor. It's taxes. Yay. Okay, in all seriousness, I know that sounds about as dry as your dad's homemade beef jerky, but here's why we're talking about it. First, for many of you, this or next year is probably the first time that you won't be claimed as a dependent on your parents' or guardians' taxes, which means you'll have to file your own taxes. Another reason, love them or hate them, taxes are a way of life, and tax day comes every year, so it's not going away anytime soon. And finally, this episode is airing on January 31st, so you should have received most, if not all, of your important tax documents by today. So we're going to eat our veggies today and talk taxes with the hope that it helps set you up well for your first crack at prepping and filing your own taxes. I'm joined for this episode by Minnesota State Mankato alum Laura, and Laura is a CPA with about a decade of experience in the tax world. We'll talk about how to file, what tax documents to round up, tax-related benefits to make sure that you're taking advantage of, and many other items. So here it is. It's not death. It's taxes. Those are the two inevitables in life, in case you're unfamiliar with that joke. And this one is for you, alumni. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> hey, thanks for being here. This is uh, going to be an interesting topic of conversation today, I think. We have times that we just listen to alumni stories. We get to hear what their experience of life after college has been like. And then there's also times that we just want to be able to impart practical tools and we all have to do taxes <laughs> or find somebody to do them for us, I suppose. But usually that's not the case starting off. So today we're going to talk taxes. But before we do that, let's get to know you a little bit, Laura. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Sure. So Laura Jans, I graduated from Mankato State in 2013 with my undergrad. And then I graduated with my master's in 2014, also from Mankato State. And then I have now probably almost 10 years been in the tax world working as an accountant, a real accountant, not a TikTok accountant. <laughs> nice. And I have been in Mankato ever since. Started my internship here and just stuck around, got involved in the community. 
I am on the board of our local community theater group, involved with our young professionals group as well. And just, I like getting together with everybody in town. Now, my understanding is that you also really love going to musical productions. Were you like just in New York for your birthday or were you somewhere for your birthday and got to go to some productions? Yes, I love New York City. I have a New York City tattoo even. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) huge musical fan. So I basically go to New York City and go to as many Broadway shows as I can in a weekend. And so we went to four this past weekend. And wow. We saw Funny Girl with Leah Michelle and Ramin Karamloo. Okay. So it was it was a bucket list item. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So to date, I know this is a long list. So as best as you can, what's been one of your favorite productions aside from Funny Girl that you've gotten to see since going to New York? I think about this question a lot, okay. actually, <laughs> and I jump around my top five quite often, but I think I always come back to Rent as one of my favorites. It's just a classic. And I know some people just don't get it, but... I always come back to Rent. Moulin Rouge and Hamilton are obviously great, too. Oh, man. (laughs) If at some point Hamilton, has it already come to the Twin Cities or is it coming soon? I thought I'd heard that it's coming at some point. Both. It's been through Minneapolis, but it's coming back in April as well. Oh, my goodness. See, that's Caitlin and I would both love to go see that. That would be super fun. Oh, another question I've wanted to ask because so Caitlin's been on the podcast before and we typically ask people like, hey, how did you get involved with InterVarsity in the first place? And you two have known each other since freshman year. Before that, we met at orientation. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you've <laughs> known my wife longer than I've known her. And the way that Caitlin tells it is that you two found InterVarsity by mistake. But I want to hear your version of that story. What do you remember about finding InterVarsity? What I remember, and this probably isn't a shock, but Caitlin was in charge that night. Sounds about right. (laughs) And she's like, okay, I found this group. We're going to go do this. And I was like, okay, I'm along for the ride. So (laughs) we went and I believe we got there and it was probably three fourths of the way through. Okay. Like (laughs) the evening's activity. And we get there and we just kind of like jump into the back and then start meeting people and started going every week after that. Nice. And the way that she says it is that you both had like different groups that you thought you were going to go check out. You had one time in mind, she had another. So that's why you ended up late is because you sort of like compromised on the time. That sounds right. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. People find meaningful places by mistake all the time. So I'm glad you came anyways. So Laura, we could talk about all sorts of post-college life story. I'm sure in your many travels to New York and things like that, that you have tons of stories you could tell. But We're not going to spend our time there today because you have a particular set of skills and I'm interested to hear what we can learn from that. Tell us just a little bit about your profession. You're a CPA. Yep. CPA is Certified Public Accountant. Certified (laughs) Public Accountant. All right. What kind of work do you do as a CPA? The CPAs can have different career paths. So I went to the tax world. As a tax accountant, we do a lot of compliance work where you're filing tax returns, and that can be sales tax returns, it can be individual income tax returns, business tax returns, estate tax returns, basically a lot of different compliance forms that the IRS requires out of different people. But we also do some consulting work as well. So like, how do we reduce taxes or how can I tax plan for this transaction in the most efficient way to save out on taxes? Okay. And you said that you've been in this world for like a decade. So Mm -hmm. you have a lot of experience. So a little bit of context. I'm making a bit of an assumption here, but my guess is that most of our young alumni, after they graduate, they are like stepping for the first time into the world of not being claimed as a dependent on their parents' taxes, which means they have to sort of navigate the tax world themselves. And I think that doing your taxes can sort of invoke a little bit of anxiety for people. And so my hope is that we can talk through some things to help set alumni up well. Obviously, they should probably 
probably still talk to someone local if they need specific help with their specific returns. But hopefully we can hit some of the high notes here, big picture things we can do to help prepare well for doing taxes. So let's jump into some of these things. There's probably even a better order that I could ask these questions in, but this is the order that we'll go with. For the average new college grad, there are different ways that you can process and file your taxes. What do you recommend? E-filing. E-filing. Absolutely e-file. The IRS takes so long to process a paper file tax return. Their lag time in responding to notices and processing returns, it's just growing and growing and growing. It can be like 18 months before you hear from them. What? Yeah. So you're already doing your next round of taxes before. That's crazy. I've gotten notices from the IRS that say, hey, you need to respond within 30 days of this date. And I'm like, it's been 30 days since you've sent this notice. and I just got it. (laughs) So they hold you to a different standard than they hold themselves a lot of times. (laughs) Okay. All right. So e-file all the way. Yes. But somebody could come to you to actually prepare their taxes for them. I'm assuming that for a new college grad, they're probably not going to need to do that. But at some point, it could be helpful. Is there a metric for deciding when it's a good time to do that? Yeah, I think as you start to get more complex with some of your returns. So if you've got a business that you own or you're getting a K-1 for a business, it's maybe time to start talking to somebody. Or if you own a rental property or a lot of people maybe have been doing DoorDash or different things like that, they're going to have to pick up that income on their personal return on a Schedule C. And that can get a little bit confusing. So that might be the time to reach out to somebody. But if you've got a W-2 and maybe a 1099 interest from a CD or an investment account, you can probably handle it. I like to use Tax Act. That would be a software that I used back in the day before I could use our firm software. TurboTax seems to be fine too. Some of them have a little bit higher fees if you're trying to e-file through them. Once you hit like a certain credit level, they'll say, hey, if you want this credit, you have to pay us this much more to file it. So I'd avoid that. I really did like the Tax Act product. They make it very simple. They ask you questions and you just answer them and then it puts your tax return together. Okay. Tax Act. That's good to know. I'm going to look into that for this year. So when it's actually time, I've got Tax Act pulled up. What stuff should I have ready? What stuff is helpful for me to have with me when I do that? So the first thing you can do is have a copy of last year's return. So I start with that. Now, if you are confident that you have everything or you've never had a last year return, the things that you'd probably want to have would be your sources of income documentation. So that could be a W-2 from your employer. That'll tell you exactly what you earned in wages from your employer. Any 1099s that you've received. So if you've received a 1099 INT, so it's a 1099 interest form, 1099 div for your dividends, or you could have a consolidated form if you've got a brokerage account like Robinhood or Ameritrade or Edward Jones or any kind of investment company, they'd give you a consolidated 1099. As long as you have over $10 of interest earned, you get a form. And those forms that are created that you get, the IRS gets a copy of those too. Oh, So if you forget to report something, the IRS knows because they've got a copy. That's good to know. I did not make any money off of Robin Hood myself, but uh, that's really helpful to know that they get something like that too. So if you have over $10 of interest that you've earned, then you've got that and you need to report it. Even if you don't get a form, you are supposed to report your income. So if I had a savings account that earned 12 cents, the IRS says, yeah, you should report that. Okay. <laughs> but who knows that they've earned 12 cents on a savings yeah, account. Yeah, totally. And by the time you get to doing your return, it rounds to the nearest dollar. Anyways. I was going to say, <laughs> I've seen plenty of tax returns that will round off 12 cents anyways. Mm-hmm. So, okay. But the DoorDash thing, a lot of people are realizing, hey, I've done DoorDash. And if they're not getting a 1099 from DoorDash to report their income, because maybe they earned $500, your 1099 from DoorDash is going to come on a 1099 NEC. They're not required to give you one until you've earned over $600. Oh, 
Wow. So it is your responsibility to be reporting your income and keeping track of it. So if you've got $500 of income through DoorDash, but you had mileage expense of $600 and you want to take a $100 loss, it's on you to have that calculated and put that together. Oh my goodness. And this is why we're doing this so that we can ask these kinds of questions because in the pandemic, it seems like a lot more people have jumped into the DoorDash world just to make a little extra money. So if you're one of those people that's listening, make sure that you're reporting that income. So income from anywhere of any kind needs to be reported. Yep. And a lot of the softwares you can hit save. You don't have everything with you in that one moment. You can start entering things in as you go and then click save. But I would just try to have as many of your documents together as possible beforehand so that you're doing it all in one batch. So we talked about W-2, we talked about the 1099. Are there any non-income or interest-related documents that are helpful to have? Yep. So then you'll want your deduction type documents. A lot of first time out of college students maybe don't own a home yet. So you're not going to have a mortgage interest statement. You're not going to have property tax statement, but you might have charitable contributions. That's where they fall. Now, many of our alumni live out of state. They go to school in a different state. They have a job in both places at one time or another during the year. What do you do about filing taxes when you have income from more than one state? In general, you'd be filing a state tax return for both states. One of them is your resident state and one of them is a non-resident state. There are states that do reciprocity agreements that say, hey, we paid income tax over here. We're going to count it over here. You just file it in the one. But those are less and less. I'm assuming if you are e-filing that something like TurboTax or Tax Act is going to sort all of that stuff out for you. They really should because when you enter your W-2 in those softwares and then you put what state you're in and source it to that state and then you say this is how much withholding was in that state, they'll know that you need to report that. Every state's a little bit different because they get to set their own tax laws. Wow. Laura, I'm so glad that there's people like you that know this stuff so I don't have to. (laughs) The state stuff actually gets me really excited. My specialty areas are state and local taxes. Okay, that's great. Gosh, because it's so changeable depending on the state that you're in because they can write their own rules for this stuff. It just makes you feel like, how am I supposed to know all of this stuff? So for our soon-to-be alumni who are probably going to move on from whatever job they've got on campus and get a job, hopefully, in the field that they've been studying for, They're going to have to fill out a W-4 when they get a new job. And that whole process has also just changed. I know because I just had a change with my job and my W-4. So what is a W-4, first of all? And what are the decisions that need to be made when you're filling that thing out so that you can set yourself up well for future tax season? They made it easier and harder recently. Okay, great. (laughs) When your parents say, oh, that form you need to fill out, claim zero, claim zero. Well, it's no longer just claim zero. So that's the confusing part because everyone always says, oh, I claimed one, I claimed two, I claimed zero. That's not a thing anymore. So you're filling out this W-4, which is basically a form that tells your employer how much you should be having withheld on your paycheck because they don't know your personal situation. They know how much they're paying you, but they don't know that if you have a rental property. They don't know if your wife or husband works outside of the home as well. They just don't know what else you have going on in your personal situation. And you have to tell them how much additional should be withheld or not withheld is what that form does. So federal has a W-4. Some states also have them as well. So you have to do it for both federal purposes and state purposes. Okay. The easiest way to do it is actually just to pull up the IRS calculator. Oh, okay. Right on the IRS's website, they have a really useful calculator. You have a copy of your last pay stub, pull it up, and then you can just run through the numbers through that. It can be a little bit confusing running through it. What does this word mean? If you hover over the little information box, it should actually help you determine like, okay, this is what this is. I should grab this number. 
What are your thoughts on the whole, I'm going to withhold less because I know what to do with my money better than the government, and then I will pay in if I need to later. I've heard people say that. Well, the IRS knows when people are doing that, and they will assess you a penalty if you're not paying them enough throughout the year. Okay. It's not just by the end of the year or by, ah, interesting. The IRS will say there's an underpayment penalty if you're not paying in enough throughout the year. They assume on a W-2 that it's being paid in throughout. So you could in theory, write them a check at the end of the year for what it's due. Uh-huh. They're going to know the day they got the check from you. So they're going to know what day they're getting the deposit from your employer versus a check from you. So there is underpayment penalties if you're not giving them enough throughout the year based off of your prior year return or based off of your current year return. There's thresholds. So I'd avoid the penalties because that's a waste <laughs> of money. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay, that's good to know. Wow. But you hear a lot of people say, my refund is so huge. I got X amount of dollars and it's amazing. And I shopped around and I found this person who would give me this much of a refund more. Well, in our profession, we think that the best answer would be a $0 refund. It's really exciting when you do file your tax return and yes, you get a bit of a refund. But like you said, an interest-free loan to the government is not something that everyone wants to do because you're not getting any interest on that initial refund. So if you're getting a large dollar amount later, it's probably that you've been paying it too much in throughout the year. So I'd avoid trying to get thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of <laughs> refunds. So I wouldn't want to overwithhold. Yes. would be the answer. But you don't want to underwithhold to the point where you have penalties. Okay. That's good Try to, to know. break even. Yes. That zero is actually a good mark to shoot for when it comes to filing your taxes. Or even if you have a little bit due with no penalties, that's not a bad answer either. Because okay. you got to use your money throughout the year. Now, if you're someone who can't save for that, that that's another issue. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. It's good to know yourself. So then, okay, can you explain taxable income and can you explain the benefits of reducing it or ways that you can reduce it? What is taxable income and how do we interact with it? So taxable income is not the same thing as your salary. So say you make $100,000 a year. That's not necessarily your taxable income. So your salary starts with a certain number. Then you've got this fun thing called health insurance. So they don't tax you on how much you paid for health insurance, at least out of your W-2. So you start with your salary number, say $100,000 and say I paid $10,000 for health insurance. Well, now my income is at $90,000 because I had to pay that out. Then you've got a couple other things you could be doing like retirement contributions. So if you're doing post-tax retirement contributions, those would come off of that number as well. So you're bringing those income numbers down by different things you're paying. So you get this number that's called an adjusted gross income. AGI, that's that $90,000 we just talked about, the salary less your health insurance. Then you have that fund standard deduction slash itemized deduction wherever you fall. That reduces it. And probably like 90% of people are using the standard deduction right now. The threshold changes, but right now for 2022, for a single person, it's $12,950. That's your standard deduction. So now we've reduced from our 90,000 down another 12,000. So you're looking at like 78,000 more as your taxable income. I started with $100,000 of salary, and now I'm down to 78,000 of taxable income. You take that and then you go look at what the tax brackets are. That's how you factor your taxes. You're going to start with the lowest tax bracket, fill that up. Then you go into the next tax bracket, fill that up. Okay, that's really interesting. Whatever's left over of your taxable income is not all taxed at the same rate. It's sort of divided up into different segments and taxed at different rates. Yep. I always think of it like filling up a bucket. Like this okay. bucket's full. Okay, move on to the next bucket. Yeah. The first 10,000 is at the 10%. Then from 10,000 to about 40,000 is at 12%. Then the remaining is at 22%. Okay. Interesting. That's really helpful. Are there other ways that you can sort of maximize tax benefit or have we talked through most of those at this point? 
for most of your W-2 employees, it's not necessarily how do I reduce my taxes, but there are ways that you can maximize benefits for your lifetime. So I highly recommend if you're able to maximize your HSA. So an HSA is a health savings account, and you can only get that if you have a high deductible health insurance plan. And you can do about $36.50, I think at this point, $38.50 this year maybe, into a plan that you can use towards medical expenses. Or you can keep letting it grow, and a lot of the times you'll have an HSA plan that you can invest with. And if you let it grow and grow and grow, you can get this tax-free account that you can pull out later on in life towards medical expenses. So maximize your HSA. Especially if you have an employer that will do a matching contribution, at minimum do that. So if employer says, if you put $1,000 into your HSA, we'll put $1,000 in, do that. Then there's retirement. So I know like it's a little crazier out of school and all of a sudden you're thinking about retirement, but the earlier you do it. The power of compounding interest. <laughs> yeah, you start something when you're in your 20s versus 30s and 40s. It's incredible how your accounts grow. Like I see people with millions of dollars in their accounts and they didn't put anything crazy into their retirement accounts. They just did it early. It builds really quickly on top of itself. So do a retirement if you can. At minimum, do what the employer is going to do a match. So a lot of times, depending on what type of plan they have, they might do like a 2 or 3% match. So try to contribute up to 2 or 3%. But a good range to get started is if you can afford up to 10%. That's a healthy margin. Yeah. And that's 10% of your salary, your income. If you can allot 10% of every paycheck to go into your retirement account, you should do that. Or at the very least, if your company will match up to 3% or whatever, then yes. set 3% aside for every paycheck. And again, that's pre-tax dollars. You can choose actually. Oh, okay. Interesting. That pre-tax 3%. That's great. Absolutely do whatever you can to get the match. There's this thing called a Roth. Yes, the Roth. <laughs> the Roth IRA. Yes. So Roths are really great because it's post-tax dollars, but once you pull the money out and you're retiring on it, you're not paying tax when you pull it out. So when you're putting something into a 401k or an IRA and it's pre-tax dollars, that's great. You're not being taxed on it right now. But when you retire and you pull it out, you will be taxed on it then. And you're taxed on both what you originally put in as well as the earnings on it. Oh, okay. So the Roth is great because when you're pulling it out, you're not being taxed on what you put in and you're not being taxed on the earnings. Interesting. And the Roth is really great because when you put money into it, your early stage of life, you're probably not in those highest tax brackets. Yeah. So yes, you're putting it in post-tax at this point, but you might be in a 22% tax bracket right now rather than a 37% tax bracket when you're pulling it out. So the younger you put away at the lower brackets is great. It really depends on your employer and what other benefits you can do, but just try to take advantage of them as much as possible. They're offering them and they want you to use them. Exactly. Yeah. If your employer is going to be generous in that way, take them up on the offer for sure. So a lot of alumni, I mean, I was one of them, but a lot of alumni are walking away from college with a pretty significant stack of loans. What kind of impact does student loan debt have on your taxes? So there's a couple of different impacts that student loans have. You can deduct your interest up to about $2,500 based on your income threshold. Obviously, right now, a lot of people aren't making payments on their student loans to right. have interest paid down. <laughs> so I haven't seen a lot of that deduction lately, but it's still out there. The other thing with student loans, there was a new law passed. It's called the Secure Act 2.0. I think it's a really great piece of retirement law that they put in there. This doesn't start until 2024, but student loan borrowers who might say, well, I got to pay down my student loans. I don't have money to put into a retirement account right now. Well, if you are able to do this and the employer puts it in place as a benefit, you can count the payments you made towards a student loan 
as the amount that the employer will put into a retirement account for you for a match. Interesting. So say you've got that 3% match that we were trying to get up to, but you've like, I got to pay my student loans off before I can think about retiring. I'm paying $15,000 a year onto my student loans. Your employer could look at that $15,000 and say, well, we were going to do a 3% match on the amount of money you would have put into a retirement account. You would have put in 6,000 into a retirement account. Yeah, you paid 15,000 to a student loan. Well, we can still match up to that 3% because you paid a student loan. Here's $6,000 for your retirement account to get wow. started. That was a really cool piece of legislation they put through this year. Gosh, definitely ask your your employer if they do that. And this is brand new, so your employers probably aren't even ready to set this up yet. Okay, well, ask them if they will, if, yes. you ha- if you're on good terms with them. Definitely say, hey, this is out here. Would you please look into it? This yeah. starts in 2024, so they have time to implement it. That is a really cool idea. That would have come in really handy in the first few years of our marriage because we were paying off student loan debt like crazy. Laura, we've covered a ton of different things here, but are there any sort of issues or maybe common mistakes that people who are new to prepping their taxes make or things that they miss that would be helpful stepping into this maybe first round? So I think a lot of it's just timing. You don't have to jump in and file your return immediately. Sometimes the softwares get a little bit better if you let them. Oh, okay. That's good to know. You'll have tax law retroactively change, like in the pandemic when they made the unemployment non-taxable. That was mid-busy season, so some people had already filed. Renters, credits, property tax credits, a lot of those forms aren't ready until partway through the year. So I don't jump in and file immediately if you don't have to. I mean, a lot of people want those refunds. So that's what they're doing. (laughs) Totally. So often that's been my strategy of like, hey, I want my money right as fast as I can. So that's good to know. So maybe hold off. And then extensions are not scary. I know a lot of people think like if I'm extending, that's opening me up to an audit. It's not. So that is a huge misconception. Well, Laura, thank you so much for giving some time to talk through taxes with us. Thanks for sharing your expertise. And thanks for being an InterVarsity alum who's helping people navigate their financial world. It's really nice to have somebody who stands in the gap for us and takes care of these things. So thanks for the work that you do. And thanks for sharing some of your experience here with us today. For sure. Happy to help. Okay, after my conversation with Laura and thinking back through my own tax experiences, these are sort of my takeaways. First of all, put in the effort to get all of your tax documents gathered into one place before you get started. It's super helpful to have all of that on hand. It makes the process much quicker, much smoother. The next thing is to invest in a quality software for filing your taxes. I know that your first couple of tax seasons using something like that can kind of feel like that game where you are blindfolded and your friend is trying to explain to you where to go to navigate a maze or something like that. You're sort of leaving your fate in the hands of someone else. But these softwares are designed to be high quality. You have to keep in mind that basically they're trying to replace a tax professional. So they are highly motivated to be incredibly thorough, to ask all the right questions, collect all the right data so that you get the best return possible and so that you don't have any issues with the IRS. Because if they're doing anything other than that, people will not be investing in them. They'll just go to a tax professional. So they're made to be extremely reliable. They're not just a cash grab. So invest in those, even though it can feel a little uncomfortable at first. 
The last thing is to make sure that you are investing in tax advantages. Use those employer matches for HSAs and retirement accounts. Invest in Roth IRAs if you can contribute to retirement beyond the employee match. And if you're paying on loans, investigate that Secure Act 2.0 for 2024 to see if your employer will match your retirement account based on loan payments that you're making. It doesn't go into effect for a couple of years, but now is the time to start asking those questions. So are the things that we talked about with Laura today exhaustive? No, not even close. You will probably still have other questions that come up, but hopefully this will relieve some of the anxiety around those things and help you get a good start on this year's tax season. Now, one thing we didn't talk about, if you do get money back after filing your taxes, what should you do with it? Can I offer just a couple of suggestions? First and foremost, consider giving a portion of it away. Invest it in your InterVarsity chapter account or in the church that you're going to. Practice generosity with it. If you have loans that you're paying on, use some of it to pay those off. Practice responsibility. Save a portion of it. Put it towards an emergency fund or make a retirement contribution. Practice forward thinking. And don't be afraid to spend some of it. Thank God for his provision and enjoy his good gifts. Practice recreation. I leave it to you to discern what the appropriate measure is for each of those, but I encourage you to consider doing at least a couple of those things. Laura, thanks so much for joining us today and for sharing your wisdom and your experience. I am so grateful for your investment in alumni. All right, we've reached the end for today. If there was anything that you learned, that you really enjoyed, or that just encouraged you from today's episode, send us a DM or tag us in a story. You can find us at After4Pod on Instagram and Facebook. We would really love to hear all about it. Then be sure to come back next week to hear more from Dr. Alex Chang, an alumnus from Knox College. We heard about Alex's Urbana experience last week, and next week Alex is going to share his story of transition to life after college and how he was willing to fail out of med school if that's what it cost to remain 100% committed to Jesus. It's an amazing story, and I'm excited for you to hear it. As always, thanks so much for joining us. If you haven't already, take a second to unlock your phone and subscribe to the podcast. If your platform lets you, leave us a rating and a review. And if you like what we're doing here, share us with your university or other post-college friends. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you in the after, alumni.